0: it's dr k
1: and here valerie j and jasmine
0: and welcome to black women voices welcome back to black women voices podcast on this episode we caught up with the creators and co-founders of the award-winning digital community site sister, dr Britt williams and dr john collier all right we are back at it again we are on episode 12 ladies episode 12 and we have some special guests today. We have the creators, the founders, the dope black women yes. behind yes, love it. We have Spider Sister here. We have Dr. Joan Collier and Dr. Britt Williams. Ladies, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, woo woo! woo. How are y'all? It's you know, good times. I get to hang out with amazing black women and you know, hang out with my homie up in Minnesota virtually, so I'm good.
3: Yeah, I am very happy to be here. It's good to see Black women. Uh, we are, I'm chugging along here in St. Cloud, but I'm trying to get some more of us out here. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about, how did you all come about in terms of Sida Sister?
2: Uh, so we are both graduates of the College Student Affairs Administration Program at the University of Georgia, Uh call it Kasai. Uh, we were taking a white supremacy and whiteness in um, higher education course, summer 16. And um, there was a project that we had to do like this um, reaction project, like what do you do with all this information you have about white supremacy and education and its impacts on different things. And um, we're, you know, we're ridiculous. And so we were like, well, can we work together? And our professor was like, sure, go ahead. And we were like, can we use social media? And our professor was like, yeah, go ahead. And we was like, okay, snap. So prior to that, we had been listening in some kind of way, but then also following the back channel for AERA's 2016 conference. And on that panel was like Latina Love and Liz Perry and like Dr. Lori Pan Davis, that whole crew, like the cool kids, like your fairy god mentor that you're like, ah, fangirl. And at one point during this panel on black girls and higher education or black girls and black women, one of them said, have you cited a black woman today? Or have you cited a black woman's work or something to that nature? And we were like, oh, that's amazing. And so that had been in like April, May of that year. So when we got to our class that summer and we had to do this project, we was like, oh, we should do something on social media. Like, did you cite black girls? Bop, bop, bop. And then we literally looked at each other and was like, cite us, sister. <laughs> and it was so cheesy. But it worked, and so when we did we was like, so what are we gonna do on social media? Like, we're gonna do a hashtag? Like, what are we gonna do, girl? So Brittany was like, I got it, I got it. We can do a Twitter chat. And I was like, okay, you know, cool. I was gonna go with a hashtag, but Twitter chat, great. So we sat down, trying to think of all these questions and things to know about Side Sister Team Side Assistant. Brittany is the graphic design artist and the type A. I am the float, cloud, and sky type B. And so we just put our brains together. She's like, we're going to do this. We're, we're going to do our um, chat. It's going to be great. And so we hop on. And we're like, all right, we're going to do our chat. And we had sent our little graphics out. Like, join our Twitter chat. It's going to be great. And we're like, you think people are going to come? We was like, we don't care. They're going to cite us because our work matters. And so people showed up to the first Twitter chat. And we were like, girl, people are here. People are here. So we were like on our computers so hyped and so excited and just like people showed up like people love black women this is great this is great and so when that was done we were just like you know so many people showed up to show love clearly there's a need for us to have fellowship right clearly the call to site work the sisters are doing right and they were like topical I don't remember what our first one was Brittany might remember but our first one was it was like uh I can't remember, but it wasn't like, whose work are you citing. It might have asked, like, whose work are you citing, How are you engaging, Um, you know, different Black women's experiences, stuff like that. But we decided we didn't want to get rid of it. So it's been changing over time. But the point of it has been to center the work that Black women do within and beyond the Academy. And the the beyond the Academy part is uh, Britney's piece, because... She was just like, listen, revolutionary work means you got to get beyond the confines of the academy. And so that has been a stickler point. Like, not just citational practices in the academy are our currency, right? You know, rappers say casuals, everything around me, that's their cream. Ours, the citations rule everything around us, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so for us, citations matter about who's citing you, who's getting credit. But in the world beyond the academy, whose experiences matter? whose lives get to matter, whose words have value. And that's where we say, cite sister. So we cite our grandmothers, our aunties, black women at the laundromat, wherever we are, they got something to say. We want to hear it. And so that's where it came from. That's how we got to it. What I miss Brittany
3: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you you got it all in there. I think we were very intentional about using sister one because I feel like a, uh and I love when people add the y in women right a lot of times when we talk about black women it's it's almost always cisgender Black women almost always cisgender, heterosexual black women. And so using sister for us with an S, not a C for the people who know what sis is, um, we're trying to be very intentional about saying we are two heterosexual black women, but we also know that we have to do the work of centering black trans women. And in order to do that, we need to make sure our tag and our language and everything that we're doing around this is showing that we care and that they matter. And so for us, the name was about that. It was about sort of dismissing the idea of, Using the word woman in the way that it's used on Twitter, even though I I feel like when we started this, we were even fighting for people to even say women because everybody's like female. And so, you know, sister being that sort of collective language that we can rally around uh, and and where we can show these things truly have value and that words mean things and that it matters. And another piece um, is emphasizing like emphasizing
2: black women because sister is in group language and maybe other groups use it too but that for me and i think for Brittany, is a very black girl term like hey sister hey sister um even sister 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 like all that fun stuff and so not surprisingly but still like disgustingly annoying is when we're talking about side of sister as a black women's initiative trying to center black women and the call comes back well hashtag why not all women What about other women of color? And our response is on a good day when we have either had coffee or a good night's rest or I done been to church is a really thoughtful philosophical discussion. On other days, it's what about them? And it's not uh, uh, like brushing off of what about, but it's about what is so wrong with us making space for ourselves because people only give black women hell and grief for free. Everything else. We have to build for ourselves, and so when we build things, we anticipate. So we were not like, people won't care. Like people, will, we were very clear that it's going to cause some pushback, and we'll figure it out. But um, yeah, people, people have what about? And we're like, but what about? Like what about? Um, and so there was a a, a, a chat that we were going to do at one point in time, but I was being something, and Brittany was dissertating on allyship or. Um, solidarity amongst women of color so we could tend to some of those pieces of anti-blackness that come up in our sister of color communities um, or femme of color communities so that we could really talk through why it's not appropriate to ask two black women trying to make space carve out some space what about us when we can work together but it can be at our expense it can't be us doing all the laboring or the majority of the laboring and so that's probably one we'll move back around to you said what happened Brittany?" hashtag not your mule hashtag (laughs) not your mule so we will probably circle back to that but right now you know got the bmw is getting established and i'm out here just living so yeah
4: Well, and you kind of—I guess—that leads to the next question. And you, you, you both have uh, kind of spoken to this, but I kind of want to go—I guess—more in depth. So, where do you see Sighted Sister in disrupting the majority narratives um, of research and scholarship with, as it relates to higher ed?
3: I—I I mean, I think it's very in, intentional about teaching people to think about who do you use, right? So, anytime I read a student's paper, the first thing I go to is your reference page because. Before I even read your argument and know what you're going to say, I need to know who informed what you're going to say because that says a whole lot about how you're thinking about a particular subject. And so for me as an academic, it's how am I socializing my students to think about the diversity of the citations that they choose, right? So even in qualitative research, one of my biggest pet peeves, and I'm sorry for the people who are listening that might find this problematic. If you cite Creswell, your paper's going back. You're not turning that into me. We're not doing that today. (laughs) Because there's way too many other people who are doing good qualitative scholarship. And Creswell definitely gave us sort of this foundational knowledge and here's how we understand quality in this big picture like very layman's terms but how are you getting into the nitty-gritty details and being selective about who you choose to center in your work particularly around new research methodologies right and so as an academic and as this person who's in this very heady space all the time it's how do i really socialize folks to one literally cite black women and cite sisters in their work but two How am I also thinking about what that looks like from an administrator's perspective, right? So most of my research and my scholarship is around administrators. If you have black women and you have diversity that's representational on your campus, but you're never taking those perspectives into account when you're making changes on your campus, are you actually citing a sister? Because the answer to that question is no.
0: Less,
3: Absolutely. And so Absolutely. I, I think it looks like really forcing folks in the academy to think about how often do we, you know, center what black women are saying? How often do we center, you know, what sisters are bringing to the table? And in doing that, are we centering it and then giving them credit for it? Or are we centering it and pretending like it was our idea to begin
0: with? Where's the offering plate? <laughs> Oh, right
3: now. So, can
1: yeah. I just go back to something that you said um, earlier? One of the the questions that that I have is is really about um, how academia uses citations to promote or demote Black women. Because I think in that conversation about you know why not all, why not everybody, right? I think part of the the question is how how are citations used to really change our own narrative.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, in, in academia, and Jones sort of talked about this, your citations are your currency, right? And so when mm-hmm. we think about tenure and promotion in the academy, it used to just be, are you being published? Now it's, are you being published? Where are you being published? And what's the impact factor, right? And so that yep. goalpost, the more diverse the academy has become, the more that goalpost has moved and has shifted. And so For me, I cited my friends in my dissertation. I am quick to pull in some unpublished research or to pull in, like I will find a way at minimum to cite at least two of my friends in every paper I work on. There is some kind of way that I can find some black woman that I know that I can put into my work. And so it's, it's that constant sort of training ourselves to do that because we know that person might need it to get tenure or they might need it to help them when they're trying to go up for VP. Right. Yes. Even now on the sort of administrative side of, of the of the house, you can't just be an administrator. You also need to be publishing and you need to be consulting and you need to be going over here. and You need to do that over there. Right. And so for black women, it's so many of us are going to college and that diversity is not reflected in the leadership of our campuses. Correct. And until we continue the citational praxis of site Assistant and we continue to make space for black women to be woven throughout the entire fabrics of a, of a university, we're going to keep having pipeline issues. We're going to continue seeing these situations where, you know, you might have a graduate program called university of Georgia that is, you know, black women enrolled at one time. And there is maybe one black woman on faculty. Right. And so, and none of them are in the provost office and none of them are at the, you know, department chair level. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's our job to do this to make sure we're giving ourselves the leverage we need to continue moving up.
0: That's that's interesting because our that our last episode we talked about black women and senior leadership and we hit on, you know, kind of why black women don't go above and you know, go up to senior leadership roles because kind of what you're talking about, you know, you want us to do X, Y, and Z, you're not allowing us to to let our voices shine, so to speak, when you ask us to come to the table. We're Mm -hmm. at the table. You don't take our perspectives. And it's like, we have to go, oh, gosh, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole.
1: (laughs) It's not a rabbit hole. It's so flipping mm -hmm. true. I -hmm. have asked that conversation even on my campus. Like, okay, so when we have these positions, where are the people, where are the Black people who could be a provost or a dean where where is that pool of candidates and sure. it's always like well we don't there's not people that they don't apply they're not and I'm like okay cool but how do they're they out there I believe they're out there how do we get even if it's only one right, right. even if it's only one how do we get them because we know that representation we know their representation matters part of me feels like other people don't really realize that and I think you, you talk a little bit about impact factors. But when I look at journals that are like Journal of Black or Black something, the impact factors of those journals are, seem to be mm-hmm. a lot lower than yeah. some of the journals that would get you that higher tenure promotion category. Mm-hmm. So how,
3: you know... Well, and not even just that, right? The question is, who was also on, um, who was your editor and your associate editor for a journal? Who are the folks that were sending work out to review, right? So I sent a piece out and had it desk rejected, and it was a piece on social class, and the person just felt like, the story we were writing and the narrative we were telling didn't matter as much because there were only eight students or seven students or whatever. And we're talking about social class in the academy. And I'm like, all it takes is eight students, right? So we know anecdotally, and I'm in the Midwest, you know, we know what it means when we see a student with a Canada goose jacket and we see a student who doesn't have one, right? Right. And so- What does it mean when we can't even put work into those journals because we have problems with the type of methodologies. We have problems with the special populations. We don't have people who are qualified to read these manuscripts and adequately say, these are ways to make your manuscript stronger and to enhance your work, and here's how we can put it out. But it's always, well, this doesn't look like everything else we published in this journal, and so we can't do anything with it or we don't know what to do with it. Well, given that most journals and the Academy in general have been white for the last 100 years, nothing's going to change until the the folks on those review boards look different. And that's why, I mean, even when I was a graduate student, I've been doing reviewership for manuals forever. The moment I realized I could have a say-so and what was coming out about Black women, I was on it, especially because I feel like it took until recently that most of the folks who are experts on Black people and Black issues have not been Black folks. And so how am I able to critically engage someone's work when this person says they're an expert on Black women? And I'm reading this, and I know you're not one of us because I wouldn't have said that. And my sister wouldn't have right. said that. And her sister wouldn't have said that. And her soul wanted to not said that, right? And so yep. how am I being intentional? And so I think it comes back to how are we opening up the gates of the academy? And how are we creating space for, you know, those different knowledges to be able to be present there so that we can make sure that not only representation matters, but the representation is, I don't want to necessarily say right, but it's nuanced. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, One of the things that I think we were talking earlier about administrative practice. um, And when I think about the potential climb up and what that looks like, whenever people ask me, what do you want to do in five years? Like, well, John, where are you going to be in five years? Like you got your doctorate, you're doing this, you're smart, got all these other things. And I hesitate to say, I don't know, because that sounds lazy. And it's not that I don't know what I want to say, right, is, I don't want to deal with the politics at that level because I don't know how to do Black feminism, right, as an ethic and upper administration because there are negotiations that have to be made and um, I don't know how to make those and maintain my ethics. And that is part of a conversation that... We don't, and I don't even want to say that we don't have, because we have these conversations. We're having one right now where we say these things, we know them, we can articulate what our angsts are, and we put in time in school, we put in time in work. And so the logical, that's an air Force logical thing is to climb, right? Like keep going, keep going, keep going. And so when we're looking at these senior administrative positions, the epistemologies at that level. Don't jive with liberation. And it's not that we don't understand that, right? But the academy is not a liberating place. It's right. not. Like you can figure some things out, but it's not meant to get you really free. And so when I hear other administrators, particularly folks who are not black, and even some black folks who bought into whiteness and all that, all that jasmine, has, what I hear them saying is, I don't think black women can do these jobs because they're going to make a shift how we do our work. And we are, we don't have the courage or the confidence or the ability or the capital to change these positions so that they actually do the work that we think freedom calls for. And so, yeah, whenever I hear those calls of like black black women just don't apply. I know plenty of qualified black women, brilliant administrators, brilliant scholars. It's not that they're not qualified is that they don't know that they want to put up with that. And it's not. And they know they're probably going to be paid less. They know that they're going to have a double imperative on their ass. So not only do they need to be the dean of students, mm-hmm. but they need to be a particular dean of students to black students. And they also know that then women students um, are going to be on their ass. And then they also know that, everyone, that a lot of other people in positions are going to look at them foolishly if they make one misstep. And then there's a question of when the university betrays Black students and you have to be the person to give a bullshit response to right. students
4: yeah.
2: that completely betrays what you know culturally, yeah. that you know your grandmother will look at you like you have lost your mind that you the person to get up here and say that. And you have to say it or you lose your job. Yeah. Because then you have your students who look at you like you will sell out. And I'm like, eh, sure, I am right now. <laughs> I am right. And so I can't me. argue. You I know can't. what I'm saying? Like these are hard conversations that again, it's not that we don't have them. We have them, we don't have them in public. Because then folks are gonna have questions. Why would you say that? Hashtag not all black women think that way. Hashtag not all, but most of the ones in my group. So then there there are these negotiations we mm. don't wanna have to make because they're disgusting, right? Like yeah. they're disgusting to they have to say, I know who's gonna lose today and it's my people. And then I will work my ass off for the next five years trying to correct this one instance, right? That I messed up because I am an agent of the institution. There was a year at ACPA where someone had a program called uh, "What What Do You Do When You Are the Master's Tools?" And that shit tore me up inside. I didn't even get to go uh-huh. to the session, but that thing hit me because when you're in those roles, you are <laughs> right. Your functions of the institution—that's a whole nother. And program. I'm still black. <laughs> I'm not not black because I'm somebody's something or another. So I can remember Dr. K and I were at the Institute talking about how we do assessment as black women Mm -hmm. in spaces. We make sure we have to disaggregate our data, talk in powerful ways, power conscious ways about data, what it says, what it might mean and contextualize that shit. We have these conversations about how do we as black women do assessment? How do we do faculty life? How do we do living and all of that. What i also tie back in is the thought of climbing means that there are parts of my joy that I have to, like, fight really even harder to keep. Mm-hmm. And as Black women, us having our joy is one of the highlights of what happens with us. Right. Um, but I don't want to have to sacrifice it ultimately. Now, capitalism requires some of that to be sacrificed. So I, you just figure out what that looks like and where it goes. But... Those are part of the part, parts of conversations that we do have. Yeah. Uh, we might not have them with our supervisors. We might not have them in public. We might not have them with folks who ain't Black women, but we have them. We just know that there are consequences often to our truths, and we don't always have the capital to pay the fine that comes with speaking truth.
3: Mm-hmm. I, would, I would add to that. You know, I also think about not only as we're thinking through do I want to be the person who has to make these negotiations? But what happens when the people who need to be our letter writers don't believe in our ability to even mm. vote for that, right? And so, mm. Shauna Prescott, um, I Chandra Sis. I'm so sorry for messing up your name, I love you. But um, <laughs> on Twitter, she's a scientist, and she she tweeted this whole thread, black woman, black Jewish woman, uh, who tweeted yeah. this very important thread about how. You know, she had this advisor and this person in her corner who came to her wedding and they were in each other's lives and so on and so forth. And here's this person who she thought was an ally. But that person immediately was like, I can't support you in going up for a job or doing this or doing that or whatever because of your race based activism over here. Right. And that's also been a part of my story. And so I think it's also how do we think through what happens when institutional gatekeepers are the people that we least expected them to be and are the folks who've situated themselves as being for Black folks or for Black institutions or for Black people broadly, right? And so I I, I think it's, it's not even just a matter of do I want to be the person who has to go up and do that, right? I have come to the realization that I want to be a college president. Period. Mm -hmm. End of discussion. I want to do it. That is something I'm going to do. I have been in denial about this for a very long time. One of my friends told me when I was a sophomore in college that I was going to be a college president. I thought he was absolutely insane. And here we are, you know, 12 years later, give or take. And I have come to the acceptance and the realization that this is what I want. But I'm anxious about saying that out loud because I have so many people who are telling me you're not ready for this. I was told I wasn't ready to be a professor. So wow. how am I ever going to get to the point where I'm ready to do this? And so how are we putting people in our corners and how are we thinking about what institutional gatekeeping means for black women trying to get to those sort of advanced roles? And I you know, I tell people this all the time, there's some negotiations you also have to make when you're picking a job that's not necessarily you being an agent of the institution or you being a dean or a VP, right? Where that you choose part. to start your faculty career means something. Where you choose to start your administrative career means something. I came to the institution I'm at. They knew full well what I tweeted like. They knew full well what I like. <laughs> they heard me on podcasts talking about black women deserve orgasms because we do. And and, oh! and, so, ah! and so and so for me, you better speak. It has turned right. into. I don't want to work for an institution, and I don't want to be. And, and granted, I'm at an institution, and institution is going institution, right? That's right. I That's right. Be at one that is so limiting that my doing that kind of important and significant work is something that has to be hushed or has to be quieted, or me being disruptive in a meeting becomes less about the reason for the disruption and more about the fact that I did it. That is not a space for me. Hmm. Yeah. And until we we realize that all of that goes into Black women being able to move up yeah they end up in that same cycle yeah oh future oh. college
0: college president right okay.
3: all I
1: mean, manners so nice.
3: I'm, so,
2: <laughs> I'm so proud of you for saying that out loud Brittany. i know that's scary <laughs> it's
4: manifesting right it's well to, in the past. right and that's also kind of leads me to kind of an, an adjacent some somewhat similar question in that there seems to be this kind of insistence on making sure that you're citing other black women and other black folks who who are doing this types of work which really kind of stands in kind of supporting each other but like in a field that's often operates like a crab mentality like i can't make it if i make it you can't make it like what in doing the work of cite a sister like how how are we also how how are you intentional also in making sure that we're kind of pushing against that narrative that not all of us can make it up in here, especially as it relates to the academy or what we do, whether that's faculty side, whether that's student affairs side, um, because that is an issue as it relates to what we do in higher ed.
2: Yeah. I mean, so Brittany and I are in the same field. Kelly and I in the same field, like we're, we're all in the same field. Uh, And we all can do math, right? If there's three faculty tenure track positions open and 30 of us getting PhDs, Three of us is getting to track job <laughs> the other ones are what they're figuring out what to do. Right. And so part of, so what undergirds side of sister is a black feminist thought epistemology way of knowing. Right. And that inherently contradicts these ideals of scarcity within capitalism because capitalism would have you believe that, Oh, uh, you know, if there's only these things and only that can happen, this, and this, and that, you always had to be afraid. And capitalism, I mean, thrives on violence and exploitation. Uh, and so so does white supremacy, right? They're like cousins, because they're annoying. Uh, and so we have to so because we believe in black feminism, right? And it undergirds what we do in our personalized, professionalized, all those sorts of things, it's not uncommon for us to go up for the same positions. My ideal, and I think our ideals on this are of course I want it, right? 'Cause I busted my ass and I want that too. But you know, if not me, shit, you need to get it. Like Come one on, of us needs that, to get it, right? Yeah. Like one of us has to get it. But that has to make room for then me to do or someone else to do what black feminists have been doing, which is reimagining, right? What can be, what might be. That also has to release our investment on some of the things that we put our stock in, right? And uh-huh. so, um, Let me see. Nope, not today. Uh, So (laughs) (laughs) so
0: So why
1: not today? Write it down. You can tell us later. Don't worry about it. we,
2: (laughs) We have to examine ourselves because what can happen is, so I grew up as a respectable Negro. I mean, through and through. And so, I mean, I grew up a respectable Negro. You did this, you did that, you didn't do that, you didn't do that, you did this. This is how things work, right? And then you realize that these formal leg things were coping strategies. They were survival strategies. They were not meant for us to actually thrive. They were how old folks survived. And I'm not, you know, folks like, oh, that's so shady to old people. I'm not. Our ancestors and our our ancestors and our elders and our contemporaries are still going through hell. And I'm in the academy. I still understand respectability. Brittany Cooper was very clear. I've delved in it, I still delve in it. It's the second, third language I have. I can't speak to folks in Ghana, but I can speak whiteness really easy. Um, And so we have to release our investment in those things, or at least understand that there are alternatives that we can create and we can craft. That means we have to invest somewhere else and be somewhat okay with saying our life might look different than we thought it. Did I think I might be a faculty member? Shit, maybe. Am I could out for track? Shit, probably not. It's like being a doc student all over again and I'm sick of that shit. Yeah, so yeah. administration works for me. me I love research and I like, I, I love teaching and I like research. I don't like being pressured by it. Mm. Brittany does well in a lot of situations where she can get things in and get things done. Brittany's in a good spot. Brittany was in uh, a faculty search with plenty of her friends and there are moments where we have to talk with each other honestly like hey I'm applying you applying let's come to an agreement on how we're going to negotiate this right. I want one of us to win of course I want to be me shit who don't want to win and then also recognizing that everything ain't for you then that's okay too and also Thinking through what it is that we want. Do we want these things because that's what we're "in quotes" supposed to want, or do we actually desire those things? And so again, I just applaud Brittany for saying out loud what her what the desire of her heart is, because it's scary being honest. But yeah. Black feminism, I feel like uh, the aunt, like Malcolm X, the honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches Black feminism teaches us. <laughs> that, we, that we get to reimagine. That's what our ancestors did. That's what our elders did. Shit, that's what our mamas did. That's what we do. And so we reimagine what those relationships can look like. And then we invest in it. Right. We invest in what in making relationships what we want them to look like or working so that they turn into what we hope they can be. That's right. all I got.
3: Yeah, I would also add, I'm so intrigued by the concept of scarcity and stuff, right? Because at the same time, I'm also the person who wants to be the better me than I was yesterday. And so my internal drive and my internal desire to be better than I ever was um, often comes off as competitive to people. I've heard so many times, oh, Brittany, you're so competitive. And I'm like, well, what makes you think that I even see you as worthy of being my competition? One. Hey, go away right like there are people who think they're in my worldview and i don't even think about what you doing i'm not thinking about you yes talk to you look everybody's talking about you know i mean there's been this video going around where um oh my god what's her name she's a Kiki. Where Kiki's like, Oh my God, I don't know who this man is. I couldn't even. T- that is how I feel about some of these folks who are like, Well, blah 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 blah. And I'm trying to make myself like this person or that person, or I want to aspire to be whatever. And I just feel like, for one, I I don't care. Like I'm trying to be the better Britney I can be because my parents put and instilled into me that I can do all of these things, even though we know white supremacy and all this stuff is happening at the same time. And so for me, it's how far can I push that actual boundary and that yeah sort of. Uh, not true American ideal that you can become whatever you want to. Like for me, it's, I'm trying to see how far I can take this. I'm trying to see how far we can really go with this thing that y'all have been telling black kids mm. that we can actually take. Because if me, the Sophista Ratchet that I am, and the person that I am who, you know, I pull up at the tailgate playing Meg the Stallion in the oh. middle of nowhere in Minnesota, hey, you know girl. what I mean? If, if I can do that, then maybe there are some ways that we can disrupt some stuff so I can get some more people in there. And so for me, when I think about scarcity, I don't care if I'm losing to someone that I love. I don't care if I'm losing to someone that I value. I think about all of the people. You know, we have our faculty of color cohort uh, for higher ed student affairs folks. I'm in a group chat with all of these people. We all apply to the same ass jobs. Yep. We all got jobs. Period. End of discussion. Right. And so did I envision when I started my job search that I end up in Minnesota? Absolutely not. Do I think I'm in the best position of all the jobs I apply for? One hundred and ten percent. It is a blessing in disguise that I did not get the job that I thought was my first choice because that person over there is suffering. And I'm over here living my best life.
2: Come on. So okay.
3: Something to be said <laughs> about wanting other people to win like i text tj who's one of my really good friends yes layla who's one of my friends that um you know really brought the sister phd concept together right like i hit them up all the time like hey did you apply for this thing i'm applying but if i don't get it it better be one of y'all like i'm quick to say it better be one of y'all because who knows yep. better my crew nobody <laughs> so even like for me i feel like that is part of that sort of side sister framework where Yep. I'm okay because if one of us makes it, as long as you ain't buying in too much into what we're doing and you make some room for somebody behind you, it's all good. That's right.
0: That's the piece. You know, we talked about, um, Joan talked about early investment, you know, being careful with you, who you're investing in and what you're investing into them so that your return on investment is what you want it to be. And so that leads me to this whole thought process that I have with, you know, I always say, you know, all skin, fo- skin, skin folk and kinfolk. And just because I'm a black woman um, doesn't mean that every black woman is rooting for me. And I think when we think about our young black women that are coming up in the profession, mm. they, they've been hit by people, black women, who have that mentality that, oh, I don't have time to mentor you. I don't have time to do this. Um, I got this going on. But then you have these other group of black women that's like, we need more, you know, women like us that's going to support each other and that, that, that. How do we combat those, those other black women that don't feel that they, I don't want to say we are obligated to it, but in a sense, we should have some sense of feeling to want to bring these young black women into the circle, if that makes sense.
3: I feel like that's hard. Right. So this is a discussion we've been ha- having forever. I think that, yep. you know, the new Negro Harlem Renaissance, because that's mm-hmm. important uh, to, to put the full name in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, back, I think um, County Cullen and Langston Hughes and that sort of argument around. Um, why do I have to be a black poet? Why can't I just be a poet? Right. And so this sort of negotiation around, do I always have to be for us? Why can't I just be for me? I can't make some other black woman want to be a part of sort of this collective space and this collective ideal. Like there are people who think, don't think that I'm for other black women. Like I have been told explicitly, you're not for other black women, you're competing against them. And I'm always like, but how? Right. I, I don't ever want to be in an applicant pool where I'm the only black woman because I need to know that I competed against people who are worthy of my competition and uh-huh. that's like black women. Right. Yeah. And so I, I feel like it's less, d- how do we spend time on those folks and more so how do we create these models and representations of how that functions and give those people the opportunity to see it in action? Because we can talk all day about, Oh, we don't have to be in competition, but until you've seen that actually work, you don't believe it to be true, and you, and you definitely don't believe it to be true in this academic culture that we're in and in this space where, I mean, look at our country, look at our government, look at the people who are leading our institutions, whatever. It's hard to believe and buy into the idea of their space for all of us when in everything that we do in academia is a competition, sport, right. citations grants. Every single thing is about how do I get more for my institution? How do I draw in more students to my institution? How do I make my institution better? How do I climb the U.S. news and world rankings, right? And so in order to go against that and to show people that you can do that, it has to be done. So I think for me, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not spending my time all day thinking about how do I convince black women who don't want to buy into the idea of collectivism to come along with me. I'm finding the folks who already have some investment or like one foot into collectivism and bringing them along.
0: Right.
2: Yep. Uh, Yeah, basically.
3: Uh, Role modeling what community looks
2: like Mm -hmm. is important because if folks have not seen it, then it sounds sounds outlandish and far-fetched. Uh, when I go to new institutions, I usually try to connect with a couple of black folks and particularly black women, um, to just see what's happening, get a feel for people. Uh, and I've been at Rutgers now for a year. Um, so it's like, oh, you're so funny. You're so funny. And I'm like, oh, funny. Cause I don't know folks. I don't know people's politics and I have to be careful. Uh, and so, I mean, I think Brittany and I share a lot of ideas around, being in community with folks who want to be in community with you, but then also, like, being explicit about what that means to be in community. So uh, we do sister circles and methodology, and then just regular life practice. And when folks ask me, well, "How do you do like sister circles?" and I say, "Well, they have to be liberating spaces," and that doesn't mean that we get everything right, but it means that there's room for people to be their fullness. And we love people. It's not without accountability, but it's about having room for nuance and living on spectrums, right? Uh, I don't get stuff all the way right. I don't get it all the way wrong. And when you add an order, we can be like, "Mm, your slip is hanging. But then also like, your slip was hanging, but you know what? Sometimes slips be hanging. You know, they just be hanging. And also being honest with folks who are coming up behind us and around us. Um, I had a mentor, may she rest in peace, uh, Dr. Pamela Anthony, and she uh, was a fabulous person to have during the first seven, eight years of my professional career because I got to see her her glow up. I got to see her hustle. I got to hear not sensitive information because she's still an institutional, you know, person, but I got to see her make make decisions that were really hard and what that looked like for her as a person, how she included Black women how she navigated folks who were not interested in being her homegirl. girl, how she dealt with other black women who was like, I don't do sister girl at work. Um, like I just don't wanna be with, with other black women. And Brittany Cooper talked about that exceptional Negro stuff, right? Like I'm exceptional. That's why I'm good. And I should be out here by myself. And there are times and places where we just have not been used to seeing other folk who look like us and sharing space because we believe in scarcity. But as far as mentorship, being honest about our stuff when we messed up being able to tell folks "Mm, you know sharing when you fucked up is hard because you got to be honest about stuff and you want to make sure that you're not risking too much but being honest is always risky because you don't know what the cost always is going to be and so i'm not saying tell all your business to everybody i'm saying when you have that mentee Or that homegirl on your job or in your virtual network who you are trying to establish some stuff with and build that community. We share when we mess up and we try to get it right and what reconciliation looks like because we're gonna get stuff wrong and folks gonna get stuff wrong with us. I ain't saying you gotta reconcile with everybody, but going with people through reconciliation, I think, can help that process because. There is room for grace. There's not room for abuse, but there's room for grace. And I think for us, I have a lot of grace. I, I, I try to have more grace for black women. Um, and I've heard that from Brittany. I've heard that from my friend, uh, Dr. Uh, Kenitra Brooks, from a lot of other black women who identify as black feminists, so that we have to have grace because while we want to be these awesome and amazing people, sometimes we do some really mean ass shit. I mean, mean stuff. Yes. Or we're just not thoughtful enough about what we're doing um and we don't always get stuff right because perfection is a lie and so there's room for grace but that grace comes with here's how you come back into the fold right and so making room for that so I look at spaces like black sap I would love to do some work with other black women um admins and I'm still a recovering respectable negro right uh because me and Brittany like even go back and forth Oh, what I'm like, I'm not putting that on social media. She's like, shit, I already pressed in. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like it's too late. It's gone. I'm like, mm. then I I'm make like, that too. It's fine. She's I okay. Yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. Brittany's fine. She's okay. All right. Got it. And I'll like watch and see how she manages stuff. And sometimes I'll cut up a little bit. And then she's not even cutting up, but I'll yeah. you 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 know where to spend your capital, right? And we don't have those kind of conversations. And I'll cut this one short. There was a conversation in black that not not too long ago about a black woman admin who was trying to, I don't know if I'm supposed to see what, it's not a secret group, it's private. Okay, great. So there was a woman asking about how do I talk to another black woman student worker, who I was told from a senior administrator I needed to, needed to talk to because she wore um, a doobie wrap to a student program. Was well, she's a leader. And the conversation was about how we don't need to correct her because of respectability politics. And um, I, I still go back and forth on this because my response was, you can do what you need to do, right? Is we can have a conversation with her about what folks expect her to show up as, and that she still gets the choice in showing up how she wants to show up in that space. Even as we have a conversation about liberation is teaching folks at least for me, how to navigate the bullshit areas that we have to navigate. Because right. the truth for me is I can't show up with no doobie wrap on my head, right? I can show up with my Ankara wrap on, but I can't keep my headscarf on and think I'm not gonna get in trouble. There's a penalty to pay for that, but I work in a respectable space. My mentors taught me how to navigate those spaces so I could make a choice about what I wanted to do and not working through that navigational process with students, and our colleagues is not helpful. It's just saying, go do it. And I'm not saying that we don't, but even our ancestors didn't protest foolishly. Uh, All of their protest, not all, but a lot of their public protest was purposeful and thoughtful, and they had thought through these things. And so I do think of our spaces together as
1: that. Well, no, because there's there's good in that. So we have a sister, the sister circle on my campus that a grad student started um, with a faculty member. And, you know, it, it it's a good space, right? It definitely started off as more of a space where we were in person, we were having conversations, we were going out to eat, and then it kind of moved to this virtual reality space where, you know, we're sending updates and things through email. But I, I do think that, and this is what I tell students, right? I cannot have individual conversations all the time right because there's only one of me and there's a million of you right and so and also that dual role as a grad student who needs mentor about the academy and then also being the administrator on the other end like we need to sit in the room and hash some of this stuff out But then when you call the room together, we don't all come into the room, right? And we're not there because we are tired or we are stressed or we have been oppressed, (laughs) you know, uh, many a day. And so the question is, you know, how do you operationalize this and keep it consistently, you know, going? Because what I see is, I mean, I see, I have a lot of individual conversations and I just, I'm like, oh my God, at what point can I go home? Like, I love working with students. I love working, but one, I'm like, how, how do we do this in a better way so that the students get what they need? I get what I need as a student, the students who we have a lot of commuter and online students. How do they they get involved in this? Like, how do we do it so everybody wins? Because it feels like only a few people win. That's a hard question, ain't it?
2: I mean, I don't, so I don't have to have the answers for everything, and I don't yeah. always have them. I don't know that there's a way that everybody wins all the time. Uh, there are moments when I win more than I lose, and there are moments when I'm just living. Uh, when do I get to go home? Because I thought that was a great question. At what point can I go home? When I'm tired, beyond tired, is when I go home. So last night, there was a Black women's mentoring group on campus with our Black Cultural Center. Uh, Dr. J, who I am at work, really wanted to be there. The truth of the matter was, I had just come from another campus program after working a whole day and doing some research. And I was tired. And I was going home because I have to rest. Uh, And harm to myself is still harm. And so I have to recognize that while I would love to be there, there are other opportunities for me to engage. Um, There are other black women on campus and that these black women who are students, mostly undergrads, have other opportunities to to connect with each other. Um, And so it feels kind of sucky, but I'm also reminding myself these problems existed before I got here. They're gonna exist to some degree when I leave and I'm not going to die in the process. At some point I got to get up out of here, right? But I ain't, I ain't trying to make it today. Uh, so when you get tired, go to bed, right? Or go home when you're able. Sometimes we're not able to do that because we're positionally responsible for that. Um, but even as grad students, we would get to points where we would just be like, we're tired. We're tired uh, and we, we can't push anymore. Um, And part of our caring for ourselves in a very Audre Lorde way is not this passive. I'm going to go get a a mani-pedi. It's I'm tired. I'm getting sleep. I'm drinking water. I'm going to let my body rest. And I'm going to let this tension out of my body. And I'm going to let my, my literal consciousness rest. And I'm going to let somebody hug on me. And I might let somebody come over here and do some more things with because I'm tired and I'm stressed out. (laughs) I need pleasure, because pleasure matters. Yeah. And 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 also, we get to be more than stressed out, and mm-hmm. we get to be more than fixers. We get to have joy. Right. We get to have those things. And so those are conversations that we have with our students and with ourselves, with supervisors, with advisors. Uh, we might can't say it the same way, but, well, not but, and, those things can still be true, and we can figure out what that looks like. But you get to rest mm-hmm. in some capacity. You may not get to take weeks and weeks off, but you get to rest. Williams?
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah, ditto. Uh, I'm still <laughs> figuring out the negotiations of that. Um, I mm-hmm. have routinely made myself sick trying to do everything and be everything for other people, and I don't care no more. I'm sorry, I cannot be at 100% at all times. And so I, I think a perfect example of that is, you know, even in my stepping away from Cytosista in order to get my dissertation done, um, because I am the more structured one of the two of us and being perfectly okay with the fact that our community have kept our, our hashtag going and folks have carried on this work and, and have contributed to what we're doing in its own way, right? And so now I'm at a space because I am rejuvenated because I did graduate, because I got a job, and because I'm taking care of myself where I can start to think about the next step for that work and to think about how to fill other people's cup. I can't help someone else's cup if mine is full, isn't full, right? Like, if your cup is empty, how are you helping somebody else's flow? And so I just, I don't, I don't know. I I feel like it's a lot of negotiation. It's a lot of learning not to feel bad when you can't do everything and you can't be everything and you can't be at everything, right? I think, that FOMO sort of, I feel like I'm letting people down because of social media or because all of this is happening. There's always 10,000 things happening at one time, right? There's no telling how many different time zones we're all in. Like, it's only 7.30 here, but it's 9.30 somewhere, and somebody need to take their ass to bed. And so... <laughs> <laughs> on a Friday. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I know ain't nobody looking for me on Friday night, so that might be the time I get my uninterrupted sleep. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just a it's a lot of negotiation
4: well and that kind of leads me to um I definitely love the conversation of self-care and I see a lot of folks doing doing work as it relates to self-care but for black folks and folks of color because the ways that we operate is very different from the ways that our counterparts operate or lack thereof right so that kind of leads me to something that you had mentioned, and we're really kind of wanting also to know about what resources that you all offer or you have as it relates to Side Sister and kind of like what are those thoughts that you're thinking in terms of kind of extending the work.
3: Yeah so I mean we have a group chat we tell people all the time if you're a black woman you can join our group chat uh so for people who are listening you can inquire on Twitter we'll send you the link it's open and people can come and they can share sometimes it's super duper active for a week at a time and then there might be two weeks where don't nobody say nothing and it's crickets and I roll up in there like y'all okay you okay sis right to borrow from Feminista Jones and so um you know sometimes it's 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 literally just creating opportunities for us to realize you're not alone in how you're doing this and where you are. Um, I think back to, we've had Twitter chats and folks have said, oh my God, I'm so thankful for Cytosystem because yep. I'm I the only person experiencing XYZ. But then we had this Twitter chat and I see there's 20 you know, to 40 women who are saying they've experienced this at other places across the country. And so it's creating that digital space for folks to connect. It's facilitating those in-person questions. So we, you know, go to ASH. I'm a student affairs person. So I'm at ACPA Mm -hmm. Um, for folks who are outside of education. How are we doing like a hangout or a meetup or uh, I'm in Atlanta. Is anybody here? Do you need to see somebody black, whatever? Or for me, I'm in Minnesota. Is anybody in Minneapolis? Let's figure out if we can connect there. And so it's bridging those, those connections, I think is a big piece of the sort of next steps for this work. It's also, I mean, as I envision the future for what Sister looks like, it's how do we create a platform where there's a constant stream of this new work by Black women is happening? Mm-hmm. And so how do we, you know, use our platform for folks to be able to, for free or discounted we'll see because we do have to pay to maintain our website Mm -hmm. y'all but how do we create a low cost or low fee space for black women to share their work and share what they have going on in ways that you maybe can't do in other spaces and to have space to talk about that to an audience of black women and folks who care about us
2: having a place where folks can go find literature on who to cite so we have folks beyond education who often ask us who do we cite who do we cite i'm in some STEM fields and I don't know any black women to cite. So being able to have like a database or a way to link um, black women's work so that folks can go and say, I know if I go to this site, I can find this information or at least leads on where to do that, that's great. Um, being able to connect folks, not sure what that looks like, if that's just when we meet up formally, informally at conferences, beyond conferences, um, that's important. But the virtual space was actually really helpful uh, in ways that I did not initially think about. Um, when we would have chats, literally, there would be folks saying, I, I I thought I was the only one dealing with it, or I enjoy every month because I know I'm going to get to see, even though you can't see anybody, like you just see their tweets, I get to see such and such, and I get to connect with them, and those things matter. Uh, but then I also think about um, ourselves as resources, and like us being able to like pseudo mentor people, so when people, and I, I almost want say people, so folks who are in the group me are black women identified. So yeah, if if that's not you, don't come up in our group me. Don't even ask. Um, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> so you got to be clear about that. Just <laughs> if that ain't you, don't do that. Uh, but I think about when folks reach out to say, Hey, I know you're part of this project. Can you direct me here or there? We're around. We're available. Brittany is in this you know, March to third year review and then to tenure. so hashtag leave her alone, let her get this good tenure, okay, <laughs> and do what she needs to do so she can be grounded and gone about her business, but yeah, I think of us as like uh, concept people, um, so there are tangible pieces, we have space for writing, at least we have in the past, those blog pieces are still available for now for folks to reference back out but also just as people who've been through, black women who've been through higher ed, undergrad, grad, grad grad school, and now on different sides of the house, but all within higher ed, we're here.
0: Awesome. So we're, we're starting to wrap up, and there's some questions that we ask all our guests to kind of tap into your personality. And so we want you all to answer these questions okay uh, <laughs> so the first one is what songs or types of music are you listening to now that keep you focused and uplifted
2: um so in my mind i had a hot girl <laughs> summer the truth of the matter is i did <laughs> not have a high girl summer it was hot and i was at the beach but it wasn't that kind of high girl summer but uh mega stallion is fun uh, I enjoy uh, Janelle Monae's music. Just her uh, catalog is really helpful. Her one song, "Victory," actually got me through grad school. Um, and then I'm an R&B girl, so NDIRE has really healing music when I need to recenter myself. Uh, and then a non-woman artist is P.J. Morton. I just, I just love his music. Uh, so that plays. And then my boo, Big Crit, I love you. It's us forever, baby. You um, <laughs> don't know me in real life, but that is my boo. Okay um and
0: so He might be listening
2: (laughs) i don't know but we go together honey listen okay is there a particular beg the stallion uh song that i can
4: put on the pot on our on our list here
2: I mean, so I was a churchy girl growing up, so big old freak is like the complete antithesis of that. <laughs> when she said, don't nobody ride it to the top like me, I'd be like, <gasps> and I'd be like, wow, I should really go work on my squat game, huh? Okay, let me go work on my lunges and shit. Let me, let me go get together. Okay, that's what's up. I need to, I, I need to be in the gym. Let's go. Strong knees. <laughs> now, these knees is 35. They, they're almost 36, so, you know, hey. Meg <laughs> industrial knees. Look. <laughs> um, <laughs>
3: she got industrial
2: knees. Listen, was- I'm com- <laughs> I'm convinced it's a it is a oil like sprout in her kneecaps. I'm just like, what is- in
3: the how do that work? I'm pretty partial right now to light skinned Keisha. Um she's an Atlanta gal. I go up for Atlanta women. Uh and I just love how all of her songs are about um being women focused, being about your grind, like not wasting your time on cis hetero men who don't bring anything to your life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she has this song with Cash Doll, who I also really love. Um, And at the end of the song, she's like, why a nigga always want to try to get your number? No, you can't have my number, broke ass nigga. And then she uh, goes down this little tirade where she's talking about, you cannot have my number unless you're going to take me out to eat. Do I look like I'm a Popeye's type bitch? No. Do I look like I want a two-piece and a biscuit? No. I want to eat lobster, steak, and shrimp. And so I just love this sort of, new black i don't even know that it's necessarily new but this sort of shift in in black women's hip hop where it's i'm unapologetically saying these are the demands i have of people in dating and for me i think about that one because i'm single and i'm also out here on dates and men keep trying to talk women into coffee dates and y'all got me fucked up right going on but then on the other side no, I'm not applying for your grant. You ain't giving me no money. You fucking broke-ass place. And so how am I applying that in sort of these academic contexts and thinking about, you know, about that work? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm into it. I am into it. And, and so there's some other folks I'm listening to. I love the new young hot boy, baby. He's cute. I'm just really into Atlanta music because I'm not at home no more. Uh, I need to feel close to my people. And, like, Brittany, can we go
2: back to how you said these grants is broke and you're not going to apply to them? Yes, roll I it back.
3: Roll it back.
2: Brittany, I've been on mute for 30 seconds, dying laughing. <laughs> no, I'm not applying to your grant. Your broke ass grant. No,
3: I'm not applying. I just, I, it is. First of all, it's above me now. When I see grants and these motherfuckers is out here talking about you need to submit thirty pages in order to get five hundred dollars, who is submitting that? Girl, I'm not applying for this. You've tried it. You've tried it. I'm not investing my time and my energy into this. You, you said that you feel page. sorry for this man. I don't. I don't know this grant. If I walked past it on the street, I wouldn't even know what
0: it was. I,
2: don't I feel know. sorry for this grant. Yes. Period.
0: <laughs> boo boo. Oh man. Oh. Okay, so moving from music, <laughs> what books are you reading or what recommend to our listeners?
3: Go ahead, Dr. Williams. Oh my goodness. Um, what am I reading right now? Well, I have a million things on my to read list.
2: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Brittany just graduated yes. and reading <laughs> might not like her brain is on and she got a whole last teach, so
0: Jeez.
2: Yeah, what's,
0: you know, what's
3: I, on your read list top three things on your read list I low-key suck right now at reading so I have been collecting <laughs> books I haven't necessarily been yes. reading that's
4: uh, so real things,
3: so things that I have in the queue right now I'm really trying to get my uh the time and the space and the energy to go through the Charleston syllabus text yes because um, I started in Black Studies as an undergraduate, and so I infuse a lot of Black Studies work into what I'm doing, and I take a very interdisciplinary approach to my higher ed study, so I'm constantly thinking about what's happening over there and how do I get some of that over here, so I'm really partial to that. Um, There's a new book out about activism in college context that I want to check out um I actually have a chapter in it with my friend TJ so I want to see what yeah. everybody else was writing about so I can know what's going on mm-hmm. um and the editors on that are Linder Quay, Dace Garbino and some other people I don't know like it's a lot of us but all people that I enjoy so I'm, I'm into that uh and then I want to read a couple of those books that talk about what it's like to be a black in the academy right so written unwritten and like the the hidden truths of getting tenure and um oh what's that text about being a black faculty member I know one of them's written unwritten and there was another one that talked specifically about uh oh the black academics guide to getting tenure without you losing your soul so yeah I'm trying to find some time to I have it. that one yeah
0: That's
3: one. so I'm, I'm really into those and trying to find some time to read them in the midst of writing all of my manuscripts and reading the books that I need to teach to my students.
2: Yes. Um, I'm reading Parable of the Sower by Octavia oh.
3: Butler because yes. I
2: am a black girl who just learned to love reading in the past five or so years. Like side assistant has been like life changing for me because black women's writing has been life changing for me. Um, i just finished up the bluest eye because tony morrison's death yeah. really just made me sad um and because i had not been an, an, an reader i just needed to read some of her re, um writing sula is up next on the list and then under my good Shit* column is pleasure activism the politics of feeling good um because black women get to feel good in a whole bunch of different ways and with all the work that is constantly around us that we must do and that we opt into voluntarily. totally. So uh, we get to feel good. And so advocating for my own pleasure and the pleasure of other black women. Um, that's what I'm reading. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. So th- this last question is twofold. <clears throat> kind of tell us what this podcast means to you and identify one black woman and why.
2: Um, so I put voice literally. Uh, There are perspectives, there is representation, and there's embodiment. Uh, Through this podcast, I think about Black women's um, creativity and joy that we have in community with each other that you lovingly tape and share with the world uh, and all those who listen, uh, and how that uh, then gets translated out to social media spaces, and how when Uh, There's a Black woman who feels like she's by herself or has not heard vernacular that is familiar or a voice or an accent that is familiar or a speech pattern that is familiar. She then hears herself uh, or they then hear themselves in uh, the words that are here. Uh, And I also think about the diversity of thought that makes Black folks so expansive um, and that that gets to happen in this space Uh, so that's
3: what I think about. I just think it's important to for us to have a podcast space that is specifically unpacking some of what's going on in higher education and how that shows up for black women and that's by black women right and so not us being interviewed by white people in this sort of you're there, I'm here way. But really, how do we collectively together have conversations around things that are impacting us in a higher education and student affairs context? Um, And I know you all had done an episode on like sexual violence and there was one on being a mother. And so I think about, for me, because I call myself the not mom, right? I'm not birthing children, but there are other ways that I show up for folks' lives. And so how are we creating space for us to have those conversations in sort of a higher education context when, you know, people assume that because you don't want to become a mom, you hate kids. And I work on a college campus all day. What are we talking about here? Right. right? And so, you know, yeah. and so I, I just I'm excited that you all have this. It was an honor to honestly be here um, and to be a part of this. I know y'all, you know, are still in season one, I think. Are you still in season one?
0: Still in season
3: one. You know, so you you getting there and making it happen. And I think uh, uh demystifying a lot of things that deserve to be demystified within the academy and making that plain and making it accessible to folks who might be thinking about dabbling into this world that we all sort of exist within. Mm -hmm. Um, You said something about a a Black woman I want to celebrate. So I'm really celebrating my good friend Shannon Walker, uh, who is about to start a position at EAV in Washington, D.C. And she runs a blog uh, called Wandering to Myself that's really about being a Black woman who is figuring out who she is within the context of historical landmarks and visiting museums, and within the context of going to these sort of natural wonders of the world that exist around us. And so how do we do these things and make time for these things and spaces and places uh, with intentionality? And how do we literally wonder until we find out who we are and become more of ourselves? And I'm, I'm celebrating that because I, she's my former roommate, she's also my sorority sister, and I've gotten to sort of see her start this blog and manifest the life that she wants for herself in a way that's very unapologetic. And then I feel like more of us could learn from. Right. And I I don't know. I'm at the point where I'm like, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And she's someone that I've seen sort of go through pieces of that through this blog and through sort of exploring this blog. um, and, And it's also challenging all of us. She has a birthday sign up, So you can sign up to challenge yourself, to do something to help you wonder to yourself, um, leading up to your next birthday or the birthday after that. And and I just really love that concept and the work that she's doing. Uh, I want to thank you for shouting out, Shannon. She,
2: yes, uh, I'm going to cheat and do two. Uh, I said I would do this until my memory um, did not work anymore. Dr. Pamela Denise Anthony uh, was my mentor for 12 years, th- almost 13 years. She passed away uh, when I was uh, working on my dissertation uh, she left this place without having birth children uh, and women who do not birth children are often forgotten. We're seen as people without legacies and so as someone who was in her um, professional lineage and in her mentoring lineage, I want to celebrate her today and every day um, that I'm here. Uh, and then I want to um, also celebrate uh, my friend Keisho, uh Renee Colbin. She is a black public health professional um, out in the California area. Uh, and she is one of my thinner friends uh, who has always been about an amazing radical body politic. Uh, and so uh, her being able to talk with me about um, how I move this fatter body, not as fat body um, around and what that looks like, what that means, show me different recipes has been really helpful. And she has been a sister. Uh, and that matters in our personal lives so that we can do our public work very well. Uh, so those are two women. And then I'm going to cheat one last time. I'm going to shout out Dr. Brittany Williams. Um, she stop blushing, Brittany. Um, she, she has worked her ass off uh, to put herself through that program and to go after her dream. And Brittany challenged herself a lot this summer. Um, and had a lot of internal conversations with herself about what she wanted to do and where she wanted to be. And so to see her doing well, uh, like eyes on her that she's doing well. She has an engagement after this, she's going somewhere fun and fancy. Um, And she's making a life for herself. And one thing that sometimes gets lost in black feminist scholarship is the practicalities of what that means. It means that we get to define for ourselves who we want to be, how we want to show up, and what that can look like. Not what it has to, but what it can. And so I celebrate her courage to go to someplace new um, that is somewhat unfamiliar, uh, that is real, real light, um, that gets cold, uh, where she'll have to probably redo her own locks, where she can really flesh out and try new stuff and get some stuff right and do some badass work. And inspire new people and go to her house and take respite so those are my cheating celebrations because <laughs> I took three
0: <laughs> awesome thank you so so this has been dope y'all are famous um, oh,
2: go, go away whatever.
1: go away go no, away go. famous go away and Dr. K right, I just want to mention one I thing and like, even, that's who I got. even in conversation they citing people that's all I, right. see. I, I see when talking
4: Y'all better be about it. it. And I just want to say, I flipped out. When she said, guess who I talked to? I was like, oh my (laughs) God. See, told you. I did. I flipped out. I was like, what? What's going on? What what, what do we need to do? What do we need to do? Y'all are doing
2: a good work. I mean, one of the most humbling things about doing pseudo-esque public work is seeing other Black women and femme non-binary folks Basically, black non-men be like, thank you for making room. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for reflecting our voice. Thank you for all these different things. And um, it's funny when people go, oh, my God, we know you from such and such. We're like, you know me? Oh, my gosh. Ooh, it's so much fun. But it's fun for us. Like, when people say, oh, my gosh, we follow you, we're like, you follow us? Oh, my gosh. Ah!" And so knowing that the people who we are in community with, like, fuck with us, that actually means a lot because there are folks who folks don't fuck with and you're like, yikes, on bikes. Um, And so to have people who we love love us back out loud, Mm -hmm. that shit means the world. I mean, honestly, truly, it means the world.
0: Yeah, we we appreciate
3: (laughs) y'all. We appreciate y'all too. I can't wait to see where this podcast goes. I mean, honestly, y'all are doing good stuff.
0: Thank you for listening to episode 12 of Black Women Voices. We hope you enjoyed our conversations with the creators of Site Assistants, Dr. Britt Williams and Dr. Joan Collier. If this is your first time listening, remember to check out the first 11 episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Be sure to share and thank you.